Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 23, To Love Winter. It's official. Winter has arrived. From Friday, which was our second day of unseasonal rain in a row, to today, over a foot of snow has fallen, and just like that, it's winter. This is the way it's been for the last few years. Fall does not gracefully and gently transition over to the next season. Oh no, overnight, we go from fallen leaves and brown grass to ankle-deep, or worse, in the white stuff. But, as inevitable as it is, and as much as I know it's coming, I find I'm just not prepared for it. Now, don't get me wrong. The pine trees outside the window, dressed up in snow and looking very festive, are really quite pretty. It's also nice not having to look at the evidence of my very difficult summer for outside chores anymore, except where the weeds and grass are uncovered by the shoveling that we now have to do. And I do find that the weather puts me in mind that there isn't that much time left before Christmas, and I have lots to do. Though, thankfully, this year I am not knitting any gifts. But I almost feel a little bit of deja vu right now, because last year's winter started almost at exactly this time, and in almost exactly this way, and lasted so very, very long. Intellectually... I know that looking ahead to March, April, May is foolish. We can't predict, at least with any certainty, how long this year's winter will last, or how cold it will get, or how much snow there will be to contend with. And really, what should I expect living at the southern edge of northern Alberta? But what the mind knows, the heart doesn't feel. Especially now, with the changes going on in my diet, and so many winter-coping comfort foods, chocolate, cheese, eggnog, literally off the table. So as the snow comes down and we creep inexorably closer to the longest night of the year, it's more important than ever to look for the positives in winter's onset. For example, we no longer need to wonder when winter will arrive. Even if we get more unseasonably warm temperatures, I don't expect this amount of snow will simply disappear like the small amounts we got earlier this month. There's no more feeling like the other shoe is still hovering in the air because it has well and truly dropped. Christmas is also coming up on us, and I do love Christmas. Yes, this year will be a challenge with the new food restrictions, and I am really quite put out that I won't be able to have the usual Christmas dessert at my family's dinner, because it literally contains just about everything I've had to remove from my diet. But I'll still get to mash about in my portion for the whole almond, even if I can't eat it, and by then I can have fruit, so I should be able to have some of the cherry or raspberry sauce, which is always delicious. Before Christmas, there's also lots of wonderful things going on. Christmas knitting and spinning parties are coming, as well as my family's annual craft dinner, where we get together with some close family friends, make a Christmas craft, and then have a good Danish lunch. This year, I'll have a whole bowl of North Sea shrimp to myself. It will be delicious. Also, either by forethought or by happenstance, my knitting plans are looking very appropriate. 
The gradient yarn started out with a lovely new shoot green and coupled with the shine from the Blueface Leicester wool, it's the perfect contrast to the white outside. Things came together exceptionally well for a pair of leg warmers, which I've now cast on, and it's not so cold yet that I desperately need them, giving me a chance to actually get them finished before we hit minus 40. And waiting for me in the depths of January is a skein of bright yellow silk linen lace weight, the perfect antidote to the start of your doldrums, and also perfect for springtime wearing, giving incentive to finish. No, as much as my heart hates to admit it, and as hard as it is to record the podcast between moments when the furnace is running, there is a lot to love about winter. It's a time of stark contrast between the white snow and the green pines, the bright winter sunlight and the long winter nights, the chill outside and the warmth inside. It's a time of wearing woolens, warm beverages, and hearty meals. Things happen in winter that don't happen any other time of the year. I just hope that this year, the other seasons also get a chance to show us what's to love about them. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. Well, I've had a lovely week off but I didn't have quite as much time for my homework as I thought I would. I had a couple days that were taken up with appointments, and I also had a day where I ran around and did things like buy clothes, which I desperately needed. So so I did have less time than I thought, but I did still manage to get a bit of work done. I, uh, I spent some time doing a little bit of a retrofit on the old traddy. I'd bought a click bearing for the back, so now it's easier to switch out bobbins. So I put that one in. And there was also a suggestion when I was complaining about the take-up being too strong. um, The suggestion was to get some uh, pipe insulation and put around the core of the bobbin to to reduce the take-up a bit. And that worked like a charm. So now if only I could cut a straight line uh, in the insulation, that would be also a good thing. But overall, the retrofit worked great, really reduced the take-up, and it's now much easier to switch out bobbins. So... I'm back to doing my homework on the old traddy. I did have some time to uh, to try and figure out some more on the, the twist per inch exercises. I moved up to the eight twist per inch, which is uh, the last one that was suggested we use uh, wool for, the, the tightest one. So eight twist per inch, did some math, decided on a two-ply, uh, got my treadles and uh, drafting zone in, and uh, and gave that a try. So the first try out on uh, on this eight twist per inch yielded a skein that was seven twist per inch. That was pretty close. It's a little wonky. I'm not sure I'm going to use it. It's still in this exercise, there's places where you can do a wool two ply skein of uh, any TPI, which is kind of cool. It's I don't know if I'm going to use it for that because. While it is consistent in terms of 7 TPI, it's it's a little wonky, so I'm not sure. Anyway, so I had to troubleshoot, because my math is correct. So why did I end up with 7 twists per inch? So the first thing I did when I tried again was I secured my lap cloth, which has my, my measuring gauge on it for my draft zone, to, to my pants. Because... One of the things that I noticed when I was spinning the first skein was it kept sliding around. 
So I secured it and uh, tried again. And I actually got a better skein out of it, or at least I thought it was a better skein. It was easier to ply, it felt easier to spin, felt more consistent. And it was uh, seven and a half twists per inch. So I'm getting closer. The only problem with the seven and a half twists per inch is that's an average. There's some nine, there's some seven. There's quite a few seven and a half, but there's also some eight. So it's it's not consistent. And that might be from the ply. In fact, I'm almost certain it's from the ply. That skin also doesn't balance. So I have to do some more troubleshooting and figure that out. But this afternoon, I'm going to sit down again. And this time I'm going to try not counting my draw-in treadle as part of the treadles for the drafting zone and see what happens there. So hopefully I can make up that other half a twist per inch that uh, that I seem to be missing out of this one. And uh, and maybe I can get eight twists per inch. That would be <laughs> that would be good because then I then I have a feel for how exactly I'm going to accomplish this twist per inch exercise and what it is that I need to do. So, so yeah, so not as much on the homework as I'd like, but I am in a good position now going forward to, you know, once I've troubleshooted this, once I've gotten my eight twists per inch, then I'll move up into the others and, uh, and keep going on the homework. So keeping on working my way through the uh, level two homework, the next exercise is exercise B2. Now in this one, it was uh, to talk about hand carding fibers and for woolen spinning, what the advantages are of a hand carded Rolag. So uh, as you might remember, woolen and I aren't the best of friends and it's a matter of practice. So for this exercise, obviously, you know, to do true woolen spinning, a rolag is your best bet. The fibers are aligned in that, in that spiral manner. You just stretch out the spiral and you get that really nice lofty yarn, um, while still maintaining that, that sort of spiral structure as it goes around. Now I'm not good at spinning woolen. I'm definitely not, but, uh, for this particular skein, yeah, I wasn't unhappy with it. It's nice and bouncy. Um, I did lose marks. There are uh, places that are underspun, and uh, and the applying is not consistent, and neither is the spinning. I'm just looking at a really thin spot next to a pretty thick spot. But again, that's about practice for me. I I haven't had a lot of practice. And it's one of the things that I really need to continue to do is practice my woolen and semi-woolen techniques. But uh, but in terms of actually spinning true woolen, even for someone like me who isn't really good at it, it's a very smooth exercise when you do it with a, a properly prepared, carded, hand-carded Rolag. Next episode for level two, we're going to talk about uh, blending fibers for special effects, which was an exercise that I will admit to having some trouble with. So it, uh, it'll be fun to take a look back at it again and, uh, and talk about it. Anyhow, that's the update on fiber week. And yeah, I'm going to head downstairs this afternoon, give another try to the eight TPI and cross my fingers. Hopefully I'll get it this time. Fiber notes. 
the problem with the homework, of course, is that to do any one exercise, you basically have to set aside a minimum of an hour to sit down and do it because you don't want to leave it in the middle. But I did have half hours and 15 minutes. And of course, in the evenings when my brain is starting to shut off, those are not the time. That's not the time to do too much in the way of homework either. So between all that time, I did actually manage to get quite a bit accomplished on things other than homework. I finished the op art blanket. The middle section went really quickly. And then all that was left was to weave in the ends. Now, that was fun. I'm not... Weaving in ends is certainly not my favorite thing in the world. But ever since... And this might not seem like rocket science or something new and different to people out there. But I read, an, I was reading an article at some point in the last you know, few months or so. And it said that, you know, instead of just catching the pearl bumps on the back, because, you know, it looks ugly, why not basically duplicate stitch? Follow the path of the yarn as you weave in your ends. And that was like a total light went on for me, which, which was great. So that's what I did with this blanket. Now, prior to this, I always thought, you know, the, the, the cast on instructions usually say, you know, cast on leaving a six inch tail. I'm like, what a waste of yarn, six inches. Good heavens. Yeah. Not when you're duplicate stitching, when you weave in your ends, because that six inches will maybe get you an inch and a half of duplicate stitching. So six inch ends, very important. Some of the ends I left on the blanket were a little on the short side, they're, they're still secured. Uh, I've run the blanket through the wash, so uh, I think it'll still be okay. But uh, but I definitely see the wisdom in leaving at least six inches of yarn as your end for weaving in, if you're going to weave in duplicate stitch. So I really love the blanket. I think it looks amazing. And uh, I didn't get it sent off in time, mostly because I wanted to show it off. And I'm still thinking about other things to put in the box as well. I've got quite a bit of yarn left. What I'm wondering is if I have time to make something else out of that yarn before I send it, or if I should just send it and then deal with the leftover yarn at a later time. So anyhow, op art's done. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the going from the outside in. If I ever do it again, I think I'll do exactly the same. So once that was done, I rewarded myself. And I know I'm a horrible, horrible knitter, but I'm not knitting Christmas presents this year. So darn it, I'm going to reward myself. I'd been looking at patterns for the gradient yarn and I'd narrowed it down to three. And all of them would have been absolutely fantastic in, in the gradient yarn. So I, I, you know, I farmed out the decision sort of, I, I, I showed the patterns to people whose opinion I trusted. And uh, and when two of them tell you immediately to do one of the patterns, that's the universe trying to tell you something. So what I ended up casting on for is the Shattered Stars shawl. This is a uh, semicircular shawl, and uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And it comes from the top down with a, a diamond pattern in lace. Uh, through through the back of it and the diamonds get progressively larger towards the edge it looks amazing the the green that's the first color between that bright acid green 
and the, that's that shine that you get from the blue face Leicester because uh, it's a long wool. It's absolutely what I needed. Um, and today it's sunny, so I might just try and see if I can actually capture that shine in a photograph today. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm working my way through the green. I'm almost into the next color, which is great. Um, and I'm on row 57. Now, granted, that's only the first color and I'm probably only, what, maybe a quarter of the way through the yarn, if that, but I'm really enjoying the pattern. It's lovely and the yarn is just making me happy. So that's good. The other thing I cast on for was the uh, the Nozki leg warmers. Now these all sort of came together really well. I I decided that I needed leg warmers if I want to wear skirts to work. I need something to keep my legs warm when it's cold out there. So I went looking for leg warmers. One of the first patterns that came up on Ravelry was these that came over the knee, which was exactly what I needed. They were a knitty pattern from first fall 2013. Again, perfect. The extra large size or the largest size that they have um, would fit me. I'll probably need to do some adjusting to the top ribbing, but uh, but otherwise it'll fit great. And I had yarn in my stash. So amazing. Now I had to choose two yarns from my stash, but they are coordinating. So the ribbing will be in a dark purple. That's a Knit Picks Silk Merino Blend DK weight. And I'm using some of my London 2012 souvenir yarn for the actual main part of the leg warmers. And that's a, a blue face Leicester. So it'll, it's looking really great. And the pattern is quite easy and I've already got it memorized. So that'll be a nice, easy project that I can take to knitting groups as well. I'm doing them two at a time on, uh, on one long circ. So so that when I'm when I'm done, they're done. And I actually have leg warmers. So that's good. I've been spinning a little bit too. I finished off the braid of Shetland, the uh, the green gecko Shetland from AF Handcrafts. Finished off the single here yesterday. It's really nice. I'm really looking forward to getting that chain plied, which will be a significant investment in time. It's probably about, you know, six to seven hours of chain plying ahead of me. But I was thinking about it and, and when it's done, you know, the, the yardage will be decent, but it's still only four ounces. And I got to thinking about how can I extend this into a project of decent size? And then I thought about the fact that I have a whole bunch of uh, gray Shetland fleece downstairs in, you know, non-processed form. And if I could make up a bunch of top out of that, then and then spin it up in the same way, that way I would have gray and green, which I could put together to make a project of, you know, two color, a two color project of a significant size. But the idea of processing um, four to eight ounces of gray Shetland on mini combs kind of drove me a little batty. So I've borrowed some larger combs from a friend and... Hopefully I'll be able to process a bit more on those than I would on the mini combs. And it'll probably be easier on my hands as well. So, but going back to work next week doesn't give me a whole ton of time for things like that, but I'll, I'll get to it in pieces between that and the homework, but the shawl and the leg warmers can come with me to work and to knitting groups. So hopefully we'll see a bit of work done on those in the next couple of weeks. 
So that's the Fiber Notes update. Fiberside Chat A while back for my level 2 homework, I read Women's Work, which talked about the history of textile production and what we know from archaeology and historical artifacts about textiles and the work that women did. One of the things that struck me about it was that even in the written works, there were a lot of assumptions that the writers made about what their readers knew. And unfortunately, a lot of those specific techniques and stuff that they were referring to have you know, been lost because they weren't described because it was common knowledge. And I think about that with knitting as well, knitting and spinning and, and how we're In some ways, a lot of us are reinventing things that people possibly knew before. But also as we go forward, I think it's really important to make sure that, you know, we have that historical context for the people who come after us as well. And one of the authors out there that's doing a really good job at this is Donna Dracunis. Now, Donna has published several books about knitting and historical knitting techniques, within the context of modern projects. And they've been really fantastic. Now, her new project is a, is a quarterly magazine slash book uh, called Stories and Stitches. And I'm really pleased that she agreed to sit down with me and talk about Stories and Stitches. I've had a chance to look at the second volume, and it's a fantastic resource for that history and, and keeping that information out there and available to us as knitters and fiber artists uh, going forward. And on top of the fantastic articles and historical context, there are really great projects and patterns in the magazine as well. So I'm very pleased to bring you a Fiberside Chat with Donna Dracunis. Well, Twitter is an amazing thing, and, and as a result, I am here with uh, Donna Dracunis, uh, because we touched base over Twitter, and she said, hey, do you want to interview me for your podcast? And I said, wow, that'd be so amazing. <laughs> so thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to be on the podcast with me. Oh, thank you for having me. That's one of the reasons I love Twitter, too. You just meet so many fantastic people that you would probably never have the chance to run into in the real world. Well, exactly. I'm, I'm up here in <laughs> frozen northern Alberta, and and you're in uh, Vermont right now, or Vermont? Yes, it's not quite frozen here yet. Not quite, <laughs> getting there. Mm-hmm. So, well, why don't you um, give the listeners just a bit of a, a brief, um, you know, biography of how how you came to be uh, a knitting author? Sure. I I learned how to knit when I was a little girl, and I bet a bunch of your listeners mm-hmm. have the same experience. And then I quit for decades in the middle of my life and um, I started knitting again in my mid-30s and I just have this habit of getting overboard with whatever I do we kind of call it our family motto of nothing in moderation (laughs) yeah and so I started buying knitting books and knitting all the time and at the same time I was working in the corporate world doing technical writing for computer companies and Every year or so, I would want to look for a new job because I would hate my job. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who talked to me at the yarn shop, and she said, if you can write about 
how to change a hard drive, why can't you write about how to knit something? It's the same thing. You're writing instructions. And that just made a light go off in my head. I don't know if I ever would have thought about it on my own. But that's what got me started thinking that I could write about knitting instead of writing about technology. Mm -hmm. And the best thing about that is that I get to be surrounded by things and people that I love all the time instead of having the dread of needing to go into a cubicle for the day, five days a week. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So your first book was, was it Arctic Lace? No, that was my second book. Okay. My first book was The Knitted Rug. Okay. And yes, that was was about in, well, about knitting rugs. And uh, well, just like everything I've ended up doing, it had a basis in history and, and traditional knitting and I found out about rugs that had knit, been knitted by Shaker women and Amish women in an early American uh, colonists. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me started to be interested in the knitted rug. And it was a really great book to start with because it was all kinds of techniques. I could put in any kinds of techniques that I wanted to into a rug and People could make it and learn a new technique without having to worry if something was going to fit. Right. Yeah. So that was one of my favorite things with it. Mm -hmm. I started out with some traditional Amish and Shaker style rugs and some old, really old fashioned rugs like colonial women would have knitted. And then I just said, well, a rug is just a palette. So Mm -hmm. I could use any knitting technique in it. So I did a rug with cables and a rug with intarsia and a rug with slip stitch color work and just all different kinds of techniques. So it's really like a whole workshop on all different kinds of knitting techniques, but without the worry of, is this going to fit? Right. Well, that's good. And so with with all your works, um, all your books, there's sort of been this this focus on sort of the historical aspects of of knitting and, and pulling that into modern techniques. Yeah, when I first came back to knitting, I didn't know anything about that kind of thing. I just knew, well, my grandmother used to make sweaters, and and so I started, I made a couple of sweaters, and I started getting knitting books, and the first couple I got were sweater pattern books, and I thought, well, if um, I have to make three sweaters, and then I can let myself get a new book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this didn't last very long. No, I'm sure. First, you know, just the patterns are so interesting and you can learn so much just by looking at them and reading them and even if you don't make everything in the book. But then I discovered that there were all these kinds of knitting books that had other things in them, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, history and culture and you know, some kinds of knitting books that have stories. There's not enough of those books to me that have stories, but there, I noticed that that was what attracted my attention and it Mm. seems like lately more and more of those are coming out because maybe because people are having more freedom because they're doing self-publishing yeah well that's a great lead-in into uh, your current project which is the stories and stitches yeah and that's exactly what i did in stories and stitches stories and stitches came about because i along with my co-creator ava coleman wanted to write stories that didn't fit into the package of a knitting magazine or what is considered by a publisher to be appropriate for a knitting book. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're too long, maybe they're too personal, or 
Uh, some are fiction stories, some are nonfiction history, but they're not always about a knitting technique mm-hmm. or the way a sweater is made in this part of the world or such and such. Mm-hmm. So it's really been a cool project. We decided to self-publish and we can put in whatever we want. So every volume has will have patterns, but also these stories that are on the same theme, but might not be about the techniques. It might be just about uh, someone in our family that knit a certain way mm-hmm. or something we um, encountered in a museum. And, and just that we can write it in a different way, a different kind of voice than what we've been able to do in the past. Because we've both done a lot of things for magazines mm-hmm. but there's a, there every magazine has its own style and you have to kind of fit into what is expected by the readers in that magazine exactly and there's so many more stories to be told than than the ones that that are you know that do fit in those magazine styles right right yeah so. and so it's really been a wonderful opportunity i mean we've just had so much fun and we're just getting started mm-hmm yeah, so the the one that's coming out here in the next few weeks is uh, the second volume, Stories and Stitches 2. Right. That one is, um, we're doing a, a theme on Around the World this year. Okay. And so Stories and Stitches 2 is about lace samplers. Mm-hmm. And we have doilies, shawls, one sweater, and we talk about just all different kinds of lace stitches and how you put them together and how they were developed and charting and not charting and just all about that kind of thing. Because it's the way people used to learn and people used to find out stitches were by looking at the samplers. They didn't have a book mm-hmm. like from Barbara Walker with 400 stitches in it. Yeah. And so they would, someone would show them a stitch and they would knit it onto their little sampler. Right, so then and they then, could reverse engineer it later. If right, exactly. So that's kind of the theme of our issue is mm-hmm. samplers and then just actual projects that you can make to go gather stitches around too because a lot of us today are not so thrilled about the idea of even making one swatch. So the idea of making a whole sampler, which is basically <laughs> a bunch of swatches, might not be that appealing to everyone. <laughs> so. Yeah, so like like one of the projects I did for this one is called the Event Horizon Pie Shawl. Mm-hmm. And basically a pie shawl is a perfect palette for a sampler because each section is just plain knitting and then you have some increases. It's yeah. a circular shawl and you just start in the middle and then you knit some plain rows and you increase. You knit some plain rows and you increase. Mm-hmm. So in each of those plain sections, you can put a different lace stitch and your shawl becomes a sampler. Exactly. I I love the idea of the construction of the pie shawl. It's, I mean, it's math, but I mean, it's very Elizabeth Zimmerman. Let's not. Oh, it's definitely, definitely Elizabeth Zimmerman. And I ended up interviewing Meg Swanson about mm-hmm. a little bit about Elizabeth Zimmerman's work, but a lot about samplers for this issue, this volume of Stories and Stitches, number two, mm-hmm. because one of the articles in there is about the history of samplers. And we talk about one particular sampler that's in the Brooklyn Museum, mm-hmm. which has about 97 or 98 lace stitches in it. And there's a book that has all of those charted out and described. And it's it's published now by Schoolhouse Press, which oh, is Meg, wow. Meg, right, Meg Swanson, who's right. Elizabeth Zimmerman's daughter. Yep. So all the pieces came together in this 
stories and stitches too mm. and so it was really fun to get to talk to meg and and put that interview together i bet mm-hmm. no that's, uh, that sounds lovely She's an amazing person, and I know her mom has, you know, so many fans. Mm-hmm. I said in, in Stories and Stitches, I said, you know, she's so well-known, we just call her EZ half the time. <laughs> we don't even say her name. But yep. but, but Meg is so talented also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And she's still running Schoolhouse Press as well, yes? Yes, and mm-hmm. still doing the knitting camps, and she's just going strong. No, that's awesome. No, it looks like it's going to be an amazing book. Now, it's on pre-sale right now. Yes, it is. It's on pre-sale. I'm going to release the PDF um, later in the week, the 22nd, I think. Mm-hmm. And so until I upload the PDF until Ravelry, it's 15% off for all orders. And then there's a printed version also, and that will be on sale until I get them from the print shop, which I don't have an exact delivery date yet, but it's <laughs> at the printer, and we've approved the print proof. So, Excellent. Yes. Good. And I saw there, too, if uh, if we've missed out on uh, Stories and Stitches 1, you have sort of a combination. Uh, oh, yes, I have a combination. So I decided that some people might not have had the chance to get Stories and Stitches 1 when it was on pre-sale. Mm-hmm. And so if you didn't get that, I have a, an option on my website, storiesandstitches.net, where you can basically get one and two together, both at the pre-sale pricing. Cool. Yeah, so that's really great for people who might not have heard about it until this one and then said, oh, but I want to read both of them. Exactly. Now, our, what's the publishing schedule? It looks like um, it, you've got five planned right now. Right. Well, Ava and I actually have enough planned for the rest of our lives. <laughs> but we have, we, we, we're thinking we're going to have four in each topic. So I said this year's around the world mm-hmm. or this the first four, and the next four will be ar- around all about the Civil War era knitting. Okay. And so we would like to get four out a year, but we're not sure that we can. <laughs> so that's why we don't have subscriptions. Oh, okay. We, we, don't want, we want this to be a business where we are making some money from it, getting mm-hmm. things out that people can knit and read and enjoy, but also we want it to be something where we still enjoy our lives. And so many times if you say you're going to do something on a strict schedule, it can just take over your whole life and make you crazy. I, I, I can feel that. <laughs> and, and so that's why we're not taking subscriptions or having people pay in advance for mm-hmm. two or three or four volumes because we just are going to keep going. And we're working on number three and number four already, but we can't say now exactly what date each of those will ship right well that is really cool so if people are interested in you know keeping an eye on stories and stitches and and when the new ones are going to come out um, they just need to go to your website yes right on stories stories in stitches.net there's a link on there where they can just sign up to the mailing list and then we'll send out announcements whenever something's coming up i send out something about once a month usually and then when we're in the pre-sale period i send things out a little bit more frequently so people Mm -hmm. can be up with what the discounts are that they can get but it's it's not an overwhelming mailing list awesome well thank you so much it sounds like an amazing project that you've got going on there oh thank you i'm really we're, we're so excited about it because Like I said, we both have done lots of writing for Mm -hmm. other publishers, and just to be able to do something on our own that we can do whatever we want with, it just feels really freeing. Mm -hmm. I bet. 
Well, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. Oh, I'm happy to talk to you, and thank you for having me. By the Wayside. Saturday nights seem to be when I get most of my work done on the tapestry, usually the Saturday night before the podcast, but... uh, but maybe I should just put that into my schedule, that Saturday nights is tapestry night, and and that's when I get my work done on the tapestry. And if I work on it outside of that, then we're just a little further ahead. Anyhow, uh, the horse is mostly finished. All that's left are some small things like the bridle, the ears, and a few other little bits like that. So it's pretty much time to get back into outlining. I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do next. Probably finish off the horses, because there's some big sections in there, and uh, and also work my way up into the soldiers as well. As I'm working on it and working with the the chart and the photograph, I'm finding more instances of this whole color mess up, and I don't quite know what to do. the 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 photograph makes it look like the saddle on this uh, front horse is in navy blue. the uh, The chart says dark green. So. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'll probably just do it in the dark green, which of course will make it lighter than the actual horse. It should still look okay, just not quite like the original. But, I mean, unless you were to hold up a picture of that section of the tapestry uh, against what I'm making, then uh, then would you ever know? I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll call it artistic license. Although, it really does annoy me a little bit. And... And I have this thing too, the, I have a cross-stitch piece upstairs. All the cross-stitching is done, it's just back-stitching. And I'm running into the same problem there where the, the chart is colored and I can't figure out the, what color the lines are supposed to be with the back-stitching. It's, it's just, it's completely opaque. It's not making any sense. And that's why it's still sitting upstairs with only the back stitching left. And I haven't been able to cross stitch in over 10 years. You know, and, and, and that's where, you know, this frustrates me a lot too, where it should be working out that you should tr- be able to trust the chart. There's only six colors. And yet, and yet, somewhere along the line, something got messed up. And that's frustrating to me. You know, I... I I would like this to be, you know, true and appropriate, but I'm too far in. And, uh, and so I guess we'll just have to call it an artistic interpretation and I think it'll still look okay. And I, I hope Nathan likes it too. Anyhow, I'm pleased with the horse. I think he looks really good. And, uh, and yeah, so back to some outlining and, uh, yeah, finish off the horses because I think that will that will be an accomplishment to finish off those horses so that's where i'm at with the tapestry and hopefully in two weeks i'll have two saturdays worth of work to report on in by the wayside Thank you for joining me for episode 23. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 24 on December 1st, 2013. 
Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion in our group on Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at ness, as in Loch Ness, at bythefiberside.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside. <laughs>